Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So today I want to look at a, a, a post that someone put online. And it attracted a lot of attention. It's under the, the, the title of the derech, of the road. It's a very common term in the, uh, what they call the from community, the religious community, for people who started religious and then left the path. So they, they call them, you know, the, the rabbis and the leaders all speak about the derech, the path, the way that you should take. So if you go, you veer off that track, you're off the derech. And now it became a... An acronym OTD. So this, you know, people refer to themselves themselves as OTD. Grew up religious and they're not religious anymore. So this is a, uh, apparently a young woman who posted it on Facebook, and she started by saying, "I'm your neighbor, your friend's sister, your daughter-in-law, your daughter, your mother, your wife. Maybe I'm you. I'm il- I'm willing to to bet there's a lot of us out there." So she started talking about how, you know, growing up as a woman in the uh, in the Orthodox community, she feels very. Uh, um, marginalized and discriminated against, and so the question is like also, what is the solution? What do you do? What do you do to address that? So she speaks about those people who are uh, the what she calls the loud, raging Orthodox feminist who question everything from rabbis to skirt length to nida to hair covering to women's roles in Judaism, and um, and. Uh, she says, I don't want to be, I can't, I cannot do that. I cannot do that because I'll jeopardize myself in the community, and it's not going to help. It's interesting, though, that uh, just now, I mean, I think yesterday it was, the OU issued a decree, a new gezera, or a verdict, whatever you call it, that says that synagogues, uh, Orthodox synagogues, cannot hire women to serve in any religious function. Uh, other than teachers, I mean, they could be teachers like you know, in formal education in the synagogue, but the, but they cannot hold a position of a spiritual leadership. So that makes just in our area, immediate area, two synagogues, Bet Shalom yeah. and Ohev Shalom, out of the Orthodox circle because uh, they have a maharat. So there's now they're going to be an, an, a correspondence going on. Trying, they're not going to change their minds, and someone who wrote to me about that yesterday, I said, you look at the parasha, it's written there. In chapter 10, verse 11, Parao tells Moshe, when, when he wants to leave Mitzrayim, with the whole, with the whole nation, he says, mm-hmm. So Pharaoh himself says, it's only for the men to serve God. So why are the women uh, interested? So the OU and Pharaoh are on the same page, and we, you know, could be happy. This is a... Uh, but this obviously is myopic vision. They don't, they don't see, they don't realize what is happening. They cannot turn the wheel back. Women were pushed aside for too long. There were, in the past, women who served in leadership roles. In the Tanakh, of course, you have Devorah and Hulda and Miriam and other women. In uh, rabbinic times, their role was eroded because of uh, influence of the Greeks who were not very much in favor of women. And that's also the period where we got the Barakha. 
שלא עשה לי אישה, right? That Hashem has not made me, the man says, thank God for not making me a woman. The woman says, thank God for making me according to his will. Like, I'll accept whatever he gives me. Um, I found out years ago that it came through the Greek channels, and it's not an original baracha. It doesn't really fit the whole structure of the Kota Shahar, because they're all positive. Thank you for this, thank you for that. And all of a sudden, thank you for not being this, for not being that. It's discriminatory. I stopped saying these barachot about 15 or maybe 20 years ago. And I'm still alive. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, it, it, this week, I saw the uh, Sidur play in Berman Academy. And it was interesting because they were boys and girls. So the boys were singing how every day they say in the morning... And the girls were singing, every morning we say, Right? And it was interesting, like the, 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 when you put the boys and girls together, and they're for all modern families, what they sing about, the, the, the boys sing about a positive mitzvah they take upon themselves, and the girls are singing about being submissive and passive and just accepting their role. So, I mean, we have a way to go, but it's changing. We have more maharat, we have women who are ordained as rabbis. Um, in the tradition of, the, uh, in the last 300 years, the first woman to be, have been ordained, not ordained, served as a rabbi, was a woman who lived in, uh, in the border of Kurdistan and Iraq. Her name was Osnat Barazani. Her father was a Rosh Hashiva, and her husband as well. But when they both, when they both died, she, she took over the leadership of the yeshiva, She would teach the students from behind a curtain. And, but the, uh, there were, people would send her questions, and she corresponded with rabbis in, uh, in Iran and, uh, and Iraq. So anyway, this is just a side note about women's roles. So, but what she writes about, and that was an interesting, like the way the, the conversation evolved, um, uh, she, she said that at a certain point she just snapped, that she couldn't take... anymore, the, sort of the religion oppression, the religious oppression that she felt as, uh, as an Orthodox woman. Um, she, she says, yes, uh, her husband, my husband noticed that I stopped going to shul, sometimes annoyed him that I didn't attend all the community dinners, but at a certain point, he says, you realize that he has his chevre in shul, and that uh, he says... I mainly infringed on his guy time at Kiddush anyway. So now he's happy if she doesn't go to shul. He has his quiet time in the men's club, and he's fine with that. And uh, so she says, what, what else? If you speak about of the derech, what for her means of the derech? She says, I still keep kosher. And that's because, you know, she, she feels, she wants to uh, have peace at the home with her husband, with her children, with guests. <coughs> And also, and it's very common, you know, for people who, who grew up religious, that they're not really interested, even if they leave religion, to eat non-kosher food. They just don't feel comfortable with it. It became such a, a taboo. She says, I still dress with Sinyut guidelines in mind, meaning that modesty is still, uh, she follows the standards of the community, but, um, and she still maintains the, the friendship with other from women, But she says, I stopped covering my hair at home unless there is an unrelated male over 13 in the house. See how even when you are like, you, you consider yourself to be a maverick or like a breaking the law, but the, the, the greatest uh, rebellion here is to walk in the house without 
covering your hair, which we spoke about that Rabbi Mishash said years ago that women don't have to do. Uh, but she says, I've been caught bareheaded by unexpected visitors. Sometimes I don't scramble to cover it. It's my house. Okay, so this is the counterbalance. So now, she says, I basically do as little as possible. Now, this is one, one person, and I know I'm writing halachot, and I send every day, and I get, I get interesting responses. So, because the, the people who read the halachot are from the full gamut, from, from the uh, people who are, consider themselves to be atheists or non-observant, reformed, conservative, constructionist, and the haredim on the other side. Everybody reads it. So some people are happy with this and not with the other. But a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people respond and says, oh, this doesn't apply to us. It's not in our community. We don't have this problem. But they don't know. Because there are a lot of people who uh, externally practice a certain way, but internally think and believe totally differently. They, uh, they might not show it with their, with their actions. And, or they might behave one way publicly, one way privately. They open up when they have someone that they feel that they can be confident, you know, they have confidence with. Uh, confidence with. So I get, I get questions like that from people who secretly like, what do I do with Shabbat? What do I do with Kashur? What do I do with that? Um, and uh, they feel that the more, more pressure is on them from their society, the more they want to leave everything behind. So when you give them options of what people call, people call leniency, it's not leniency, it's actually helping them become part of, of, the, uh, of the Jewish of Jewish observance, just in a, in a different measure. Anyway, here's where she sort of uh, made, her, made her point. She says, <coughs> as far as Taharat HaMishpaha, family purity, meaning going to the mikveh, I've always hated the practice and feel it had a detrimental effect on my marriage. Finally, after many years of frequent mikveh trips, I made a decision to give myself a break. My husband would never stay married to me if I told him I wasn't going to the mikveh anymore and keeping my family together is my top priority. However, I was miserable and I had to do something. He knows I'm miserable, yet still insists I keep going. So what, what happens here, like, he, he doesn't understand her. And this is when we speak about, uh, like the article I wrote yesterday, about moms and dads' uh, religious uh, uh, wars, this is one area that flexibility is extremely difficult. Because if, let's say, one side is kosher, the other, the other side is not, and they love each other tremendously, they would somehow uh, be able to, okay, I'll eat this, you'll eat that. You know, we, I mean, this happens. I know families, or at home we eat this, outside you could go eat wherever you want. Shabbat. And no family, the husband says, I'll go to shul, you go, do whatever you want, or the opposite. But when it comes to Tarat HaMishmaha, family purity, so either if the, it's a mitzvah or that pertains to both. And if she doesn't go to the mikveh and he's religious, he cannot be with her, right? And if he's not religious and she wants to go to the mikveh, he would not be happy with that and try to, uh, to force himself on her and one time when she's not willing. So it's a big problem. Um, and I've, I've dealt with cases that this almost brought to divorce. That religious, like one side was religious, mainly the husband, and says, if my, my wife doesn't do that, I have to get divorced. And I have to, I had to find a solution for them. So what she decided to do is just say, uh, tell him that she can't go to the mikveh for legal complications. There are reasons to say, okay, you know, I have a problem with this, a problem with that. I can't go to the mikveh. And this is something that is happening, happening now in the Hardy community. 
Another thing that happens, which you know some some people might find unbelievable, is that you know when we talk about abortion and uh, and uh, protecting the the uh, the fetus, it is a, a growing tendency in the uh, in the Haredi community to have uh, to have an abortion immediately after they find that the the, the woman got pregnant because people get married very young and uh, and they uh, they're not ready for that. The reason they get married young is because there's a pressure from the community. There's a strong pressure from the community. There's also the natural the natural uh, uh, urge to be you know uh, to have a partner. They want to, but they can't have boyfriends or girlfriends. So the only option is to get married. But if you get married, you get pregnant in many cases, right? And they're not ready for that but to be a mother at 17 or 18 or 19. So. It became uh, trendy. I, I was the first time I, I got a question like that. I was a little surprised, but then I spoke with people that I know who live in Lakewood, and they say hey, they speak with the rabbis, and it became more and more common for uh, young couples to come with the question of abortion, and for the rabbis to prescribe uh, contraceptives beforehand because they know that otherwise it's not going to work. Um, and there was actually a TV series in Israel called Akara, or maybe it was a short movie, uh, Baron, where uh, it's, it's a story, and again, it's, it's based on true, uh, on facts, of a young woman who got married and did not want to get, she was not ready for that, so she's taking the pill, but her husband and her mother-in-law don't know, so they take her to rabbis, they take her to doctors, they visit all the graves in Israel, she drank all the holy water, and every time she drinks the holy water with a pill. So uh, this, is, uh, this is something that is happening. But in her case, she already has children, she has a family, but she doesn't go to the mikveh. So basically she put a, you know, a barrier between her and her husband. Now, it's interesting because someone, someone commented on that, that it's uh, a man, of course, it's terrible, she's lying to her husband. And when you say that, you really have to roll back and look at the, at the, at the, uh, the, the background of, of these laws, of the separation of you know, family purity. The, uh, the original halakha, when you look at the Torah, calls for uh, the, make, the separation between a husband and wife on a regular basis to be seven days only. That's it. The only time when... Uh, a woman or a man had to count seven extra days, what they called the Shiva Nikim, and then go to the mikveh was if they had a an STD, not OTD of the derech, STD, sexually transmitted diseases, and if that was the case, and they were afraid that the man or the woman has this disease, it would make make sense for them to have complete separation, and even after they are healed, to count seven clean days to make sure that the disease is completely gone, and then go to the mikveh. And even after that, they would keep monitoring it. At a certain point, it's about the third, fourth century of the common era, meaning it's about 1,700 years after the law was given, the Talmud says the following thing, in the, in the name of Rabbi Zeira, or Rabbi Zeira, his name was Rabbi Zeira in, uh, in Bavel, but the, in Eretz Israel, people couldn't pronounce the Ayn, so they turned him into Rabbi Zeira. So Rabbi Zera says, "Benot Yisrael yehmiru al atzman shafilu wot ipadam kehardal yishvot alav shivanekim." The women took it upon themselves to be strict, 
that even though they don't have to uh, to act with the the period as they act with the uh, with sexually tr- transmitted diseases, they decided that every every little question that they have on the, on the matter, they will consider it of the strictest order, of a completely different order, that of diseases. Now, the rabbis hailed this as beautiful. You know, they're very they're holy. They're 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 more uh, 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 concerned about purity. So that became legislated into practice and then into law, and now nobody could change it. In, uh, in medieval times, this is something that uh, Professor Avram Grossman, who's uh, uh, an expert on medieval uh, jury historian, has a book called V'huim um, Sholbach. It's about the, the role of women in medieval society. And he said that there was an interesting phenomenon in the Christian medieval society where women... Christian women took upon themselves a vow of celibacy or abstinence after they were married and had children. At a certain point, they, be, they became uh, abstinent. And why did they do that? Because, uh, to put it nicely, the men were pigs. And they did not respect their privacy. They did not respect their, their body. And the only way that they could tell the, the husband's hands off was by taking a religious vow. And he said, well, we are dedicated to Christ and to the church. You can't touch me. Okay, so the husband is a devout Christian. He doesn't want to burn in hell. So that's it. And Grossman says, we have no equivalent in Jewish literature. And I read that. It's like, I'm smiling because, of course we have. It, just, it happened so long ago. And it was so wisely disguised. The women didn't say, we don't have to do it anymore. They just stretched it over years and years. Right? And the Gemara actually says on the Pasuk, Sugabashoshanim, um, uh, that the, his lips are, are fenced with roses. So they say the, the laws of Nida are like a fence of roses, that I mean, you could break, you could, you, could, you could cut it, but you respect it because of its beauty. So they say here, as you see, it's a beautiful system. The woman tells the husband, Dad, we have a problem of impurity, and he keeps off. <laughs> yeah, because the women didn't want the husband to get near them. So now, this creates a real problem in, in, um, in, the, uh, in the Orthodox community where it's imposed on people, and when you try to, to roll it back, it's almost impossible. But it causes uh, several problems. I mean, this... So this, this lady is actually, this woman is following in the footsteps of her ancestors. Because they, they, this is one area where she has the, the power to, uh, to control her husband and not the other way around. But the serious problem today with the keeping the, the, the period as is, six or seven days plus other seven days, is what is called halachic infertility. Where a woman uh, cannot get pregnant because she misses the, the right time for that. And in other cases, just the, the tremendous stress and guilt of young couples who cannot uh, uh, follow, cannot follow the system. So this is just for me, it's an example of like one halakha that affects so many lives, so many people. And uh, when you bring it to the rabbis, most of the rabbis ignore it and they are not willing to, to admit there's a problem. Let us address it in the... Uh, in, in the traditional manner and find a solution for the people. But underneath the surface, this is just one voice. There are many, many people like that. And Rezat Hashem, this is uh, hopefully in the future.
Tamidi Hachamim will rise to the occasion and do something about that. Okay. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.